If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hey, are you ready? Turn the air conditioner off. Let's do this. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So here's how much we love you, you freak. Um, we're doing this podcast with the air conditioning off because we didn't want you to have to listen to that. Uh, we're recording this the 4th of July. It's... Uh, here in Maine, 40,000 degrees. Something like that. Something like that. Is that Celsius or it's, Fahrenheit? It's Jethro-ish, <laughs> is, is what it is. It's pretty rugged. Yeah, but that's okay. We got a couple of cold beers and uh, some interesting stuff to tell you. It's ironic because I'm just back from New Mexico, and I'm so much hotter in Maine than I was in New Mexico. <laughs> it's dry heat. It's true. It sounds so corny and cliche to say, but it's true. It was dry and beautiful and perfect. And this is this is uh, wet. And muggy. This is a wet heat. So how was your, your flight back? It was a long trip. And uh, we had delays. And the whole thing was kind of, uh, let's call it effed. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, on the way back, we had a layover at JFK and we got off the plane. And of course, by this time we're exhausted and I jollied myself into the restroom and got to the first open stall and (laughs) swung open the door and there was... Uh, the toilet surrounded by empty pistachio shells. <laughs> that to me is unbelievable. <laughs> that somebody somebody actually went in mm-hmm. to relieve themselves, sat down, and decided to enjoy some delicious nuts. 
I guess if you have limited time and you're like, I got to get some fatty omegas in me and also get this giant turd out of me. Right. You know, you have you've limited time to work with with a layover. It's funny that it was JFK because that's the airport that I saw the guy. Remember I told you this? We were coming back from Ecuador. Uh, I was standing in line. The guy in front of me was eating a hoagie. Oh, yes. <laughs> standing in line in front of the urinal. Guy's eating the hoagie. And he gets to the urinal and he closes the wrapper, but then sets it right on top of the urinal. Yeah. In the airport. Yeah. You know how I am about bathrooms and food anyway. You won't let me come anywhere near the bathroom with anything consumable. No. Even if uh, like you're in the tub and I'm drinking a beer and I want to come in and talk to you about something because oftentimes I like to... Interrupt my baths. Yeah. Uh, You'll scream at me when I get within a five foot proximity of the door. It's not true. You can leave it just outside the door. That's fine. It's uh-huh. the is the door barrier. Things that you eat shouldn't go inside there. Okay. Well, I agree with the pistachio nuts <laughs> and the hoagie on the urinal. See, you're just picking and choosing at this point and That's what I, I do. <laughs> I pick and choose. You're what we call a cherry picker. You may hear our dogs snoring from time to time because it is so hot. We, uh, we're we allowing them to uh, stay in the room while we record. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of snortles. Please forgive us, but I'm not putting them downstairs. It's too hot. So do you go first this week? I go first this week. And you know of my love of uh, things like abandoned hospitals, abandoned uh, asylums, the history and the, I don't know, perhaps in some cases, paranormal activity in right. these places. And you watch the most boring videos ever. Here we are. We're walking through the abandoned amusement park. It is an abandoned amusement park. Hey, is it? That's what I'm doing today. <laughs> yeah, it's, I uh, it. <laughs> but but I, I promise you, well, I hope it won't be boring. Okay. Um, it's uh, Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in West Virginia. Ooh. It has quite a bloody history. And it's been abandoned since 1965. Really? Um, is it is it bad timing for me to ask you why it was abandoned? It has to do with its bloody history. Okay, just real quick. This is my list of things to, that I want to talk about on the show. Amusement park deaths. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, that was going to be my next one. Wow, that's incredible. Look at us. Aww. Aww. Love, Love touch. touch. Tell me all about it. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park is located in Mercer County in West Virginia. It is, I guess, a few miles away from Princeton, West Virginia. We have some West Virginia freaks. Perhaps they can uh, shoot us a message and verify all of this. The area of the abandoned Shawnee Amusement Park has a very dark and menacing history. Now, Shawnee is a Native American tribe, yes? Yes, and that's how it got its name. Originally, originally the land was uh, occupied by the Shawnee people Mm -hmm. until, well our ancestors came and stole it from them. Right. Real sad about that. Sorry. Now, archaeologists in this area say that they, they estimate that there's there may be as many as 3,000 burial sites, part of which is where the amusement park is located. Oh, no. It's like poltergeist. It, it is very poltergeist-ish. But the history, the bloody history goes way back. In 1775, a family of white settlers... They were known as the Clays, Mitchell Clay, his wife, Phoebe Belcher Clay. They had three children, Bartley, Tabitha, and Ezekiel. They moved uh, to this remote area. It was remote at the time, of course, and set up a homestead, but they did it right on top of the burial ground. Oh, no. Now, this Phoebe, did, yeah. come on. Well, they didn't know. 
Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, defending them, but but they they didn't know at the time that it was a burial ground, and uh, the local local Shawnee people who had uh, seen very few white people at this point. This these were some of the first white settlers that they had ever seen. Sure, they saw these people just come in and start building a house on their cemetery. Oh. Essentially, they didn't take too kindly to that, as you could well imagine. Oh. It angered them. So one day, Mitchell, the father, went hunting, and while he was gone, a few of the uh, Shawnee tribesmen took it upon themselves to undertake some retribution. Oh. They slaughtered the youngest son, Bartley, oh. as he worked out in the fields, and then scalped the corpse. Tabitha was next. The Shawnee warriors tracked her down, brutally stabbed her to death. This is all according to uh, Mysterious Universe. Dot org. Mm. I've also verified this at several other sites. The oldest son, Ezekiel, was not killed upright, outright, but he was rather, he was kidnapped and then dragged away, and later he was burned alive at the stake. Oh, that's so awful. So when the patriarch, Mitchell, returned home, he found all of his children dead. His vengeance was very swift. He put together a posse of some other settlers in the area, and they went off and they, they hunted down and murdered several Shawnee tribesmen in uh, big-time bloody retribution. The Clay Massacre hangs over the area. It, it did for years and years, like an evil cloud. And a lot of settlers wouldn't go anywhere near it Yeah. after that happened. They, even back then, said, this is, uh, this is bad. It's a bad area. This is some bad mojo here. So it was this place that in 1926, a guy named Conley T. Snado purchased the land, the very land on which the Clay Farm had stood. Oh. I guess it's it's unclear whether or not he knew of the the bloody massacre that had taken place there a couple hundred years before. Right. Now there are real estate laws that say you have yes. to right. disclose that kind of information. If if there's a bloody massacre on your land, it's important to include that on your on your real estate disclosure. That as well as if this is a half bath or a full bath. It's important to know the difference. But if he did, he simply did not care. Uh, he decided this is a great place to build an amusement park. You know, had a beautiful pond there. And there were a lot of coal miners in the region. They were flocking to the region. He thought, uh, yeah, this is this is good. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll set up a picnic area. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that the coal miners' daughters can have some place to hang out. Right. Write their songs. And it was, uh, it was a very simple affair. It was just basically a, a picnic ground with a swimming hole. But pretty soon he started adding things like a Ferris wheel. And it expanded gradually, a dance hall, some concession stands. Mm -hmm. By the 1950s, there were many different attractions like uh, bumper cars, motorized rides, paddle boats out in the pond, um, a small roller coaster even. And if you were driving by and saw it, you would think, oh my God, this is a great place to go spend a little time. Sure. Bring the family, mm -hmm. have a picnic, experience paranormal activity. Oh, that last one I wasn't expecting. Tragedy continued to strike in this area, and there were at least six deaths at the amusement park that were extremely tragic and somewhat, uh, in, in some cases, mysterious. Oh. One guy apparently just climbed to the top of one of the rides and jumped off. They don't know why. He seemed like he was a happy guy. Uh-huh. He just... Uh, Jumped off one time. Just got up there and just, was like, it's all for you, Damien. Yep. And yeah, exactly. Mm. And hurled himself to his death, Ugh. which probably terrified the youngsters waiting to go on the paddle boats. I would imagine. Another young boy, he was seven or eight years old, was swimming in the swimming hole and he disappeared and they couldn't find him for like weeks. 
ultimately they did his arm had got stuck in a drain pipe and oh. he was f- just underneath just barely underneath the surface but they they didn't see him for a couple of weeks that was of course pretty terrifying for the kids who found him yeah oh that's rough one of the most horrifying accidents that happened was a little girl i think they said she was like eight And she had gone to the amusement park with her mother, and she was wearing this beautiful pink little dress. This was in the 50s. She wanted to go on the the electric swings. Do you remember that? They're the swings, the big swings that hang on the chains. On the long chains that that kind of swing out. Right. Okay, yeah. Centrifugal force, you know, gets you way out there. You start whipping around and that sort of thing. Well, she was on that, and unfortunately, just after it started reaching maximum force, a soft drink truck backed up right into the path and she just smacked right into it. Oh my gosh. Killed her instantly. Now, this was... Why did you tell me she was wearing a cute little dress? I'll get to that. Okay. Now, this is one of the examples of there being alleged unexplained paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. It, It could have been that the truck driver was just trying to cover for himself, but he said that the truck shifted into reverse by itself and backed into the path of the oncoming swing. Oh. And it killed that little girl. Since then, she's been sighted on the grounds many, many times, a little girl in a bloody pink dress. Oh. Including the current owner of the land who said that when he sees her, and he's seen her several times, and you lock eyes with her, you cannot move. He says, I cannot move. There was a uh, a guy that worked there that was mowing the the grass he was on a tractor when was this this would have been the early 80s okay it was is after this new guy bought the abandoned park Mm -hmm. and so he's riding around on a tractor and he kept feeling somebody pushing down on his shoulders and he got off the tractor and he looked back he saw the little girl in the pink dress standing on the tractor and he felt like she was telling him i want the tractor i want to ride on this i want this tractor so he walked away from the tractor in Midmo, that's where it sits to this day. The tractor still sits there in the middle of the field. They've left it there for the little girl to play on. Whoa. That's some commitment to this idea. It's not just, yeah, we saw a little girl. There are a couple people have seen her. You know, This is abandoning farm machinery. Which we're against, by the way. Unless it's for a little unless ghost. Unless it's for a little ghost girl. Ghost girl. Yeah, in that case, we're, we're pro that. Now, she died on those electric swings. Oh. Now, when this guy bought the uh, the land, he bought the amusement park in the in the early '80s. Real quick, when we talked about the show before, because you and I don't share stories before we we do the shows. You know, you're surprising me with this story; I'll surprise you with mine. But we do discuss the levity level of the story, and I said, "Is yours dark?" And you were like, "Nah, it's not that dark." We're talking about dead babies, like, all over the place. Well, this is the dark part. horrible, horrible death. Oh, she was wearing a cute little pink dress, and then her guts were everywhere. It was no big deal. Yeah, this is the dark part. Wait, no! I said... It gets darker? No, this is the dark part. Okay. This is is it. This is the... No, there's some more dark stuff, but... Amusement parks. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh. So when this guy bought the abandoned amusement park, and again, they abandoned it because of these deaths and the recurring weird stuff that was going on, sure. they would see the outline of Native American people walking along the tree line. They would see, actually, they there is one Native American spirit that is still seen to this day near one of the abandoned buildings. And there's an EVP 
and it uh, it's like this Native American chant. And of course, you know, an EVP is a, is an alleged a recording of a uh, of a spirit voice. Right. Now, is the abandoned building that he's near, like where they had snow cones or something? Yep. Is his chant like snow cone, snow cone, snow it, cone? It is. It, it, it's it's the snack shack. <laughs> it is. It really is. That's. <laughs> yep. So it was abandoned in the mid '60s, and this guy bought it in the uh, early '80s. And over the years. A lot of the things had been uh, destroyed and sold off and that sort of the Ferris wheel still stood there from the original Ferris wheel from days, you know, gone by. And he wanted to bring it back to originally he was thinking he would bring it back to life and make it, you know, an amusement park again. But a lot of different things kept happening that uh, some would say maybe were uh, paranormal or just bad luck that mm-hmm. kept him from from doing that. But one in- interesting thing did happen. He wanted to replace all of the rides with period proper rides. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to bring back the bumper cars, the type of bumper cars that were there at that time in the 50s and the 40s and, right. and what have you. He wanted to bring back... Um, the uh, the electric swings, the same type right. of electric swings. Restore it to its natural or right. original glory. Make it look like it used to look, right. which is a really cool idea. Sure. So he finds this place in New Jersey that has um, some old electric swings for sale. And he buys them and he brings them down and he s- installs them. And he checks the serial numbers. It's the same set of electric swings that little girl died on. Oh my goodness. That had been sold off for scrap. But somebody kept them. And then, I don't know what the history of it was, but ultimately, this guy, just by coincidence, found these electric swings, the exact same ones, and brought them back and reinstalled them. It's where they belong. That's one of the places they see the little girl in the pink dress. Well, sure, that makes sense. Either standing in line to get on the ride Mm. or sitting in one of the swings. And her bits. Yeah. Another place where they see apparitions quite a bit is in one specific Ferris wheel car. It's in the nine o'clock position Mm -hmm. that's just there forever, just stuck in the nine o'clock position. There's somebody that you can see from time to time, allegedly, sitting in that car, just sitting there. We should go here. I want to go. This this sounds fascinating. It really does. There's a, a period of time around Halloween where they open up what they call the dark carnival and everybody can can go in otherwise you have to get special permission to to go in and and check it out i see i can't decide i can't decide if it's disrespectful or if it's just i mean i don't know i don't know it's not disrespectful right is it i can't decide well it's it's native american burial ground so there is that and that girl in her bits and the girl in her bits if you go on youtube and there are videos of of some weird things that have happened at the park where people have actually experienced it. Some of the swings in a completely um, quiet afternoon with no wind, all the swings will be completely static. They won't be moving at all except one. Oh. And that swing swings back and forth and back and forth. There have been a variety of EVPs, like I said, some words that just simply, you know, it's like, no. There's a young girl that was captured on, on EVP that says, won't talk. And then she says, I'm on a swing. Oh, wow. They allegedly have, you know. Allegedly. Allegedly have mm-hmm. audio tape of, of this. I have not heard them. Audio tape, huh? Wow. They're using some old technology. They apparently have a digital audio recording. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, this has been featured on a lot of different uh, television shows, ABC's uh, Scariest Places, Ghost Hunter show that did something there sure. uh, a while ago. A lot of amateur ghost hunters go there constantly. You yeah. see a ton of stuff on there. And the Dark Carnival is October 25th through August 31st. Features ghost tours, even a haunted house, and of course, access to the Shawnee Amusement Park. You get to check out all the crumbling structures and uh, hear the stories and see the Ferris wheel and the pond and the circular swings in the areas where the deaths had taken place and where most of the uh, paranormal activity mm-hmm. is, uh, is experienced. And the interesting thing is a very large segment of the paranormal activity or the ghosts that are allegedly seen are children. And oftentimes they're seen just waiting in line at the ticket booth. Aww. Just mundane things like that. Yeah. Which leads one to believe that maybe in that case that's what's called a residual haunting Sure. not an intelligent haunting. It's just for whatever reason, that moment in time was recorded somehow. The um, energy stays, yep. something, yeah. Exactly. But it's a pretty creepy abandoned place. I would like to check it out sometime if it's not disrespecting the Native Americans. And it's one of several abandoned, weird, haunted, kooky places that uh, I'll probably delve into over the next year or two. So. Well, when we do some road trip shows maybe we can do a show from from one or two of those types of places yeah we're excited about that we have an rv it's uh you know it's it's like a class a is that what it's called yeah god that sounds so pretentious doesn't it we're outfitting it with a with a mobile studio we're putting a studio in it so that we can go on the road mm-hmm. and and do just that visit some places do some shows right. on location i want to do just a, like out. a 50 states like do a show from every state and then explore the the things that go on in that state that would be so cool and maybe the things that go on are haunted amusement parks i love abandoned buildings i know you do i just do it's the history i think more than anything well that was wonderful what the part about the little girl on the swing getting no. smacked into the back of a soft drink truck no but it was very it was interesting it, it is interesting don't it, shame me for liking your story that you chose to tell me dick <laughs> it began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else it's become that thing in the middle so this uh, topic was actually posted on our social media by one of our freaks, Dava the Spider Lady. <laughs> and this we found fascinating and thought we would feature in that thing in the middle. This is actually something I had not heard about before. It's called the Lloyd's Bank Coprolite. It's a large paleofeces, or also known as a desiccated human dung specimen. It's a fossilized poop. That's exactly right. Uh, The coprolite was found in 1972 beneath the site of what became the York branch of Lloyd's Bank and maybe the largest example of fossilized human faces ever found. And by the way, it is huge. It is enormous. According to one of the articles I read, it weighs over a half a pound. And uh, one of the videos that I saw, a woman described it as eye-wateringly big, (laughs) which (laughs) I I can't stop thinking about. So analysis of the stool has indicated that its producer... Uh, lived largely on meat and bread, while the presence of several hundred parasitic eggs suggests that he was riddled with intestinal worms. And it came from a Viking settlement. So he this is fossilized Viking poop. Exactly correct. 
Dr. Andrew Jones made international news with his appraisal of the item for insurance purposes, saying, this is the most exciting piece of excrement I've ever seen. <laughs> In its own way, it's as irreplaceable as the crown jewels. So uh, allegedly what happened was 1,200 years ago, a Viking took a dump and uh, somehow it survived for 1,200 years intact. Yeah. And that's amazing. And sure they, is. They can tell. They can tell what he was eating. He or she. I mean, it's half a pound. I'm assuming you know it's a he. But then again, they were Vikings, so I don't know. It's true. It's true. And so often, uh, the the poops were all mixed together because people would you know poop in a central place. Right. Well, sometimes. But every once in a while, you know, some poops outside the. The regular spots. Yep. And, and those are singular, solitary, exceptional pieces of excrement. Now, my thought is, did it survive because of its enormous size? Or are we just lucky that it survived and it was of such enormous size? Because mm. I'm a little jealous, I have to say. I am not. You, I worry about how his butthole felt after that. Must have been a little bit like giving birth, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Huge. Butthole birth. You can check it out online for yourself. So I'm thinking about this. You know, this guy is Viking uh, 1,200 years ago. It amuses me that you're, you can't just stick to the history of it. That you're like, imagine imagine what his life was like and what led up to that, that yeah, bowel movement. Yeah. yeah, I think it would have gone something like this. It was a rainy afternoon sometime around 946 AD in the Viking settlement of Jorvuk. In what is now modern-day York, England. I think it was a Wednesday. A small group of Vikings was just finishing up their midday meal of roast mutton when one of the Vikings, let's call him Doug, casually excused himself and retreated to the privy, which in Viking times often meant the road just outside the door. Okay, guys. Hey, I, I gotta go pinch a fjord. He had tried in vain over the past few days to relieve the searing abdominal cramps that had been plaguing his every waking hour. A steady diet of mutton can do that to a guy. His wife was constantly saying, for the love of Thor Doug, will you eat a salad? But Doug, being a strong, independent Viking, would have none of it. However, the days of trying and failing to relieve his discomfort had weighed heavily on his already overburdened Viking soul, not to mention his lower gastrointestinal tract. But Odin be praised today would be different. As Doug squatted in the road with carts drawn by oxen lumbering around him, he produced the most magnificent Viking turd in the history of Jorvik. A turd so incredible that it would echo down through history and one day in the distant future be displayed in a museum where people queue up in the heat for hours just to catch a glimpse of it and, dare we say, touch it. Some people say the ancient Viking poo has magical healing powers. Okay, nobody's ever said that, but it'd be really cool if it did. And how proud Doug would have been. You see, he would have said, nothing evil ever comes from a diet consisting only of mutton. Nothing. Wow. That's lovely. Wow. I think that's a beautiful story. That was really creative. Thanks. You, uh... You painted a picture. That's how it went in you my head. A picture. In Jethro World, that's what happened. You're welcome. <gasps> oh. Like finding a box of human remains in your attic. 
but without all those nagging detectives and reporters at your door. This is The Box of Oddities. So it's your turn to go, and when I say that, I mean give a story, not create a fossilized poop. Unless you want to, and that's fine. Thank you. We live in an amazing time. We do. And we've been hearing a lot about DNA because, you know, the Golden State Killer was caught through familial DNA um, and what that means for future cold cases that, or or current cold cases that could be solved in the future because of that DNA. And it got me thinking about forensics in general and how how far we've come. And so I thought we'd delve a little bit into the early days of forensic science. So, of course, the ancient world lacked standardized forensic practices, which aided criminals in escaping punishment. I mean, there were a lot of, you just had to not be seen and you could pretty much get away with it. Um, Criminal investigations and trials heavily relied on forced confessions and witness testimony. However, ancient sources do contain several accounts of techniques that foreshadow concepts in forensic science that were developed centuries later. How far back are we talking? I'm getting there. Sorry. The first written account of using medicine and entomology to solve criminal cases is attributed to a book that translates to Washing Away of Wrongs, which was written in China by Song Si in 1248. Wow. He was the director of justice, jail, and supervision during the Song Dynasty. Song Si ruled regulation about autopsy reports for court, how to protect evidence and the examining process, the reason why workers must show examination to the public impartially, and so on and so forth. He was really strict about how bodies and evidence were handled because he believed that there were things that you could learn from from looking at bodies and evidence. It just made good sense. However, others had not always been so gentle. No. So no. he was he was really kind of a, a someone who championed taking care when gathering evidence. Preserve the evidence of the crime scene. Yeah. It's a novel concept. Way ahead of his time. Yeah. If only he'd been around during the OJ case. So he concluded methods on how to make antiseptic and to uh, reappear hidden injuries on dead bodies and bones. He used sunlight under red oil umbrellas and vinegar so that bruises that had faded, he could then see again. Shut the fuck up. I will not. He used... Again, uh, information about weather and insects to determine time of death and um, how to wash the body that would best preserve evidence but still let you examine what had gone on. I see. So like how to clean the blood away from a stab wound but still maintain the integrity of the stab wound. It's pretty incredible. In one of Song Si's accounts, the case of a person murdered with a sickle was solved by an investigator who instructed everyone to bring his sickle to one location. He realized that it was a sickle by testing various blades on an animal carcass and then compared the wound. So flies attracted by the smell of blood eventually gathered on a single sickle. In light of this, the murderer confessed. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So, it's pretty rad. That's amazing. Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't mean to be repetitive or anything, but 1248. Yeah. 800 years ago. 
plus. It's amazing. Now, of course, we have a polygraph test now, which not always 100% accurate, but it is helpful. And methods from around the world involved saliva and examining the mouth and tongue to determine innocence or guilt as a precursor to polygraphs. And this was when? I, I'm getting there. Sorry. Sorry. In ancient India... Some suspects were made to fill their mouths with dried rice and then spit it back out. The idea was that the drier the mouth, the less saliva, and the less rice that would stick inside their mouths. And so you could tell if someone was being truthful or not based on how much saliva was in their mouth because people who get nervous get all dried up and... That so on and so forth. is ingenious. Similarly, in ancient China, they would have rice powder placed in their mouths, and again, the amount that that would stuck that would stick to their their saliva w- determined whether or not they were telling the truth. Hmm. There were even some uh, groups who made suspects lick hot rods, which sounds incredibly sexual to me. Um, but uh, the saliva allegedly would protect the tongue from the heat of the rod. So how much your tongue reacted to having been burned determined how truthful or not you were being. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was just, uh, you lost me at licking hot rods. Sure, 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 sure. As the rational values of the Enlightenment era increasingly permeated society in the 18th century, criminal investigation became more and more evidence-based and the use of torture to force confessions was curtailed and the belief in witchcraft and other powers of the occult largely ceased to influence the court's decisions. Two examples of English forensic science in individual legal proceedings demonstrated the increasing use of logic and procedure in criminal investigations at that time. In 1784, in Lancaster, a man named John Toms, yes? No, no, I was just blocking the microphone from the snoring sound. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, A man named John Toms was tried and convicted for murdering Edward Colshaw with a pistol. When the dead body of Colshaw was examined, a pistol wad, you know what a pistol wad is? The crushed paper used to secure powder and balls into the muzzle. Um, found in his head wound perfectly matched a torn newspaper found in John Tom's pocket, leading to the conviction, which is pretty cool. In Warwick in 1816, a farm laborer was tried and convicted for the murder of a young maidservant. She'd been drowned in a shallow pool and bore the marks of violent assault. The police found footprints and an impression from corduroy cloth with a sewn patch in the damp earth near the pool. There were also scattered grains of wheat and chaff. The breeches of the farm laborer who had been threshing wheat nearby were examined and corresponded exactly to the impression in the earth near the pool. Now, was this, this couldn't have been admissible as evidence at the time because it was such a, a new concept, right? Did they just see that and go, yeah, he did it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, you know. Sure. It took a lot less back in the day. Justice was swift in the days of yore. Um, James Marsh was the first to apply 
this new science to the art of forensics. He was called by the prosecution in the murder trial to give evidence as a chemist in 1832. So the defendant, who was John Bodle, was accused of poisoning his grandfather with arsenic-laced coffee. Marsh performed the standard test by mixing a suspected sample with hydrogen sulfide and hydrochloric acid. And while he was able to detect arsenic as yellow arsenic trisulfide when it was shown to the jury it had deteriorated which allowed for reasonable doubt in the Uh, jury's mind uh. and they acquitted him so marsh was very annoyed by that and he developed a better test so he combined a sample containing arsenic with sulfuric acid and arsenic free zinc which resulted in arsenine arsenine arsen a gas And that gas was ignited and it decomposed to pure metallic arsenic, which then passed back to a cold surface would appear as a silvery black deposit. And that test was so sensitive that he could detect as little as one fiftieth of a milligram of arsenic. And he described that test in 1836. That's incredible. It really is. 1836. It's amazing. So forward thinking. How forward thinking it was and then how far we've come from there. It's mind blowing. And then bullets. Henry Goddard of Scotland Yard pioneered the use of bullet comparison in 1835. So he noticed the a flaw in the bullet that killed a victim and was able to trace this back to the mold that was used in the manufacturing process. And That's then we incredible. still use bullet striations sure. to to account i mean constantly ballistic testing exactly where bullets came from and it's that it's almost exactly the same process that that man um initiated that's incredible it really is And, and and again i can't help but think people from that period of time they're witnessing this and experiencing it and and they're thinking wow this is just you know magic but if they were to see what we were able to do today, mm. how would they react to it? We're all witches. We're witches. <laughs> we deserve to be burned at the stake. Well, that was great. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. There was, and again, it's another one of those things where I may end up picking up more of these later because there were so many opportunities to look at the early days of this particular science or the this particular process. And so I really had to kind of pare down what I was going to talk about. But these were just some that, that caught my interest. Theboxofoddities.com. That's where you can find us. You can get in touch with... You can get in touch with us there. Are you lying? Because it seems like your mouth might be dry. Uh, I'm getting the rice. My mouth's not dry, believe me. <laughs> it's properly moistened with a fine craft beer. What you got there? Goose Island? Yeah, that's what I'm drinking right now. Nice. That's where you can get in touch with us. Great job, sweetheart. And you can also find our merch there as well, too. Yeah, and you can listen there as well. I mean, it's a it's a one stop shop. Right. Um, but we're also you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on the Twitters. This was fun. Thank you. Twice a week, the box of oddities uh, lands on your device, whether you like it or not. Um, hopefully you like it, and you'll keep letting us land there. It's very nice. Thanks. We'll see you Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate 
is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2018 All rights reserved Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me Katie Charlwood Your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books As I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, tons of extra themed episodes if you want to improve your trivia game or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong then we're the show for you find triviality on all your favorite podcast apps but you know that because you're already listening to a podcast